Today is February 16th, 2020. Welcome to Common Ground. The sermon series we are in is called The Gifts of Community, and this sermon is called When Gratitude Goes Wrong. The speaker is Chris Romine. Enjoy. We are right in the middle of the series, or we're coming down to the end of a series called The Gifts of Community. As a brand new community, we are looking at the ways that communities are sustained. When you hear me say community, think business, partnership, uh, romantic relationship, um, uh, friendship, friends group, or just even relationship with self, uh, but also relationship with God. How do we sustain community? And following in the ways of a theologian that we want to give credit to, her name is Christine Pohl. We are depending on her voice through this, throughout this entire sermon series and two uh, books that are not Christian-centered that I'm also engaging called Attached, The New Science of Adult Attachment, and The Body Keeps the Score. With these four books in play, we are following Christine Pohl's uh, uh, book called Living in Community, which basically says... How do you start a new community and how is it sustained? And we broke those things down to gratitude, commitment, and today what we're going to be focusing on is generosity. And again, if you're joining us for the first time, we want to explain that the way that Common Ground sorts, tries to suss out where we stand and what we believe in is by trying to, with as little time as we can, knowing that it won't tell the whole picture, deconstruct some things that we've been handed about how to be generous and what gratitude means and what commitment looks like. Because these things have also been weaponized and used against us. So for each subject, we have spent the first Sunday to talk about the ways that it goes wrong. So we just name the ways that we may have been abused by someone saying you're not generous enough, by someone not being generous with us, with us not being generous with another. And this has everything to do with our generous spirit, generous words, generous disposition, generous with our income, generous with our resources such as our time and our comfort, everything that could encompass generosity. We want to name and sort of publicly lament. So again, if this is your first service, we will leave some time today. I will do a short sermon, and then I'd like to talk about some of these things. What we're trying to learn or trying to embody based on our small groups that we're doing throughout the week. Again, there's a Manhattan one, a Brooklyn one, and a Queens one that meets in the evening. We're working through a book called The Sin of Certainty by a theologian by the name of Pete Enns, who deconstructs the idea that faith equals certainty about where God is and what God is doing. And actually, God invites us to engage the mystery that God is up to. And so with that, we try to deconstruct the sermon here too, where I am not some sort of expert who knows how to do life better than y'all, and I let you know how to do it. Y'all take notes. I give you a really good action point, and we get the hell out of here for the following week until I do it again. What I'd prefer and how we're trying to build it is a little bit of a TED Talk style, like I give maybe a 15-minute presentation on something. Y'all hopefully are thinking about it real time, and then we come back and we talk a little bit about it. So the way that we lamented folks who focused on ingratitude uh, with us, um, especially as we, about a month ago we were talking about this, especially as we stepped into uh, February, which is Black History Month, 
the way that folks, people of color and women in our history have been told, oh, how ungrateful they are, for they don't seem to have enough and they're asking for too much. In their means to fight for suffrage, in their means to fight for equity, in their means to drink from the same water fountain, gratitude has been one thing that has been weaponized against the poor and the oppressed in order to maintain normativity. And so we focused on lamenting the ways that we are not only ungrateful, but the ways that we've been told that we're not grateful enough when we ask for some equity in an institution or an organization or a relationship. And then two weeks ago, we talked about the breakdown in commitment. When promises are thrust upon us that we might not be able to carry, and the way that this institution, a church, and people with my role, with my title, have weaponized promise-keeping, high expectations for folks who are still trying to deconstruct their faith or trying to figure out how they square 60 hours of working throughout the week and giving some time and some resources to a church in need, right? So the way that commitment is asked of someone without it being a mutual relationship. And then today, we're going to hit probably the most uh, important subject since we've started this in the new year, and that's generosity. And I say that it's important because we as a community, we as a society, really wrestle with scarcity right now. Social sciences, sciences are bearing this out, that we live in a scarcity mindset. We have psychologists and people like Brene Brown who are saying that we can actually track that post 9-11, America got a lot more scared and fearful for who she is and who might be invading the country, who might be taking advantage of us, and if we can trust the dollars that we have. And then you add seven years later a housing crisis and we are just ripe with scarcity and fear and doubt. And we come into places like this wondering, is there something more to life than the scarcity that I have right now? It's particularly difficult in a city like New York. I lived in LA for some time. I've never been in a city as expensive as New York. Maybe the only one that parallels is San Francisco. But as we unpack this sermon today and lament the ways that are the impediments for us being generous, we have to name on the front end that this city does not make it easy for us to have expendable income. And if any of y'all are paying rent, which I would guess are 99 or 100% of this room, you know that. Wages don't match rent costs. Wages don't cover all of the necessities that we have from food to health care to rent. And so to name on the front end that in being, not being able to be generous is not an ethical dilemma amongst us, but is actually a, a, an, inst an institutionalized capitalism that is working against our ability to actually be generous and be mutual with one another. Amen? Okay. So I'm going to give you a little, and then I'm going to be asking you to think about what impediments keep you from being generous? What fears are alive in you to be more generous? What fears keep you from being more generous? What are times when you have been in ungenerous? <laughs> it's not even a word, but it is today. Ungenerous with others. And what, what are times when you wish, wish people were more generous with you? Y'all tracking with me? Okay. So, a few notes. 
This is a difficult topic to address, and it's important to name some things on the front end. Not only are our collective economic lives so stress-inducing, stressed out, and stressful, we also live in a city where it is very hard to pay our own way. As I said, rent is high, food is expensive, traveling through the city is expensive, healthcare is expensive, everything seemingly in New York City is expensive. On top of that, we exist in an economy right now where wages do not account for our rising costs of rent, and that is assuming that we carry no debt at all. Parenthetical thought, no school debt, which probably 90% of us have if we're millennials. An overwhelming amount of debt most of us have. We exist in an economy that asks us to give every last drop of ourselves to our job and heaps an incredible amount of shame and guilt on us if we don't work, if we're not able-bodied or able-minded enough to work, if we get tired, if we can't sufficiently pay our lives with our wages, and we don't have the time, energy, or resources to frolic freely through this adult playground that is New York City with all the advertisements that tell us this is what the good life looks like. In short, we as people today in 2020 are collectively, more or less, swimming against a current of busyness, insufficient pay, and high expectations. So it is very important to name on the front end that this is a difficult subject to address, for sure. Add to that, I want to address the fact that I'm a pastor of a church, of a church that if we have 100 folks in this church, about 80 of them have been harmed by harmful narratives or abusive pastors in their past. And that to even sit in this space is a prophetic statement that God is not done and that you are not done with God. So sibling, child of God, I celebrate your presence in here today and it is enough, you are enough. God says that over and over again. Thank you for participating in this body. Nevertheless, <laughs> this thing, this organism, quite literally depends on all y'all's financial partnership, our doing this togetherness, and that currently we are supported by another church, Fifth Ave Presbyterian, and their generosity, the way they spent years raising money so that my salary could be covered in this church, so that as y'all gave to this thing, it actually didn't touch my wallet, and I could preach about whatever I need to preach about, and I don't need to be worried about who gives what and who doesn't give what, because the gospel of Jesus Christ is much larger than whether I work full-time for a church or not. Amen? Still, though. I and our work are wholly dependent on this community's generosity. This church, Fifth Ave Presbyterian, has given us enough money to start moving down the runway in the hopes, like any spiritual community across any faith tradition, enough financial generosity and partnership and belief in the mission that we are after is present inside these walls that common ground becomes the spiritual home for enough folks that say, with my income, I give a giant, huh, I'm not going to say that, screw you to our market and I give some of my money to things that don't yield 
an obvious economic return to me. That actually in giving to a nonprofit, in giving to a spiritual community, I expect nothing back but that that spiritual community does not misappropriate or take advantage of the funds that I give so that that place might help the poor and feed the hungry and bring equity for those who have been excluded from churches in the past, whether because of race or economic status or education status or in Common Ground's case, with about 50% of us identifying as queer and some of us as trans, a place that has rejected someone's identity because of who they love and how they love. And Common Ground will not be a place that does that. And yet, it costs money to maintain a place like this. So I want to name the inherited awkwardness, especially if you're joining for the first time. This is almost an inside conversation. It is saying to common grounders, we need to be in this together. This is an organism that is working itself out. As Paul says, the hand cannot decide that it doesn't want to be a hand. We literally need each other. Amen? But to put it frankly, this plane is already moving down the runway. And the truth is, we need all of us to contribute something so that quite literally we can exist. So generosity, to address it here, is both awkward, it's difficult. I also want to say, Christian, it is prophetic because let common ground be a space that names things plainly, that takes the lid off and shows a bit of, not a bit, complete transparency about what we're doing, what we're about, and what we're in need of. Let us look different from a world outside. Perhaps this is a recognizable thing, a world outside that asks us to not talk about what we make in comparison to our coworkers. It is inherently an organizational ethos, a philosophy, to keep you from knowing what your siblings make. Why? Because you'd probably find out it's unequal. And in this pluralized, secularized, modern society, what generosity has become is an individual act. And by and large, churches have just gone with it. That our money, that my money is my own money to decide whatever I want to decide, and what's left over, I will give to a nonprofit if I want, or I'll take a vacation. And the problem with that is that it is, it is, it is our privilege showing when we get to do that. Because I'll tell you, Common Ground is a place made up of people who are in need of social services. There are a number of people in Common Ground that are in NYCHA housing, New York City Housing Authority, that are on food stamps, that are supported from this city. And I would love for us to be a community that could support from in-house and could actually build a different economy than the economy that we've all been conditioned for. So what I want to name on the front end is let's kill the shame that's existing in this room right now. Because every single one of us have been conditioned into an economic philosophy. We did not choose it on our own. We did not choose scarcity versus abundance. Like, oh, you know, abundance sounds like it sucks. I really want to live in scarcity for the rest of my life. <laughs> we have been conditioned to it. And the reason that we gather every Sunday is because we look at what the Holy Spirit is doing across the world, how she is engaging, what God is hoping for in the mission of God. We look to the life of Jesus to see the way Jesus lived into abundance and sought peace through economic destruction of temple values and Roman values. 
And we say, can we actually do that here as a new community? All of that is good news. But generosity is still a difficult topic to discuss because I am the person who is trying to drive it. So I am the one flying this plane in a sense. If you want to actually picture that analogy, I got put in the cockpit. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm looking back at y'all, seeing if, like, what buttons we press so that we don't crash. We're all trying to like, keep the, you know, the, the, um, the wings up, and we need to do this together as an organism. But on the front end, acknowledging that we legitimately have difficulty talking about our own private finances is important to name. I would want to say that in order to be in relationships with others, and again, romantic, business, friends, friend group, anything, generosity is absolutely, unequivocally part of the equation. How so? We must enter relationships with generous spirits that are committed to understanding another person or persons who think, act, speak, feel, and respond sometimes in ways that seem fundamentally different from who we are. Without a generous spirit, we cannot seek mutuality with the person who we want to spend the rest of our lives with, or persons. In order to be truly mutual with each other and commit our hearts to community, generosity plays a central role. Not just a generous spirit, but in religious communities like this, financial generosity is literally dependent on. From churches to nonprofits, profits working towards racial equity and poverty and hunger and education and against human trafficking, nonprofit organizations invite the consumer into a relationship. Here is why and where generosity goes wrong. Have you ever been asked to be generous, but that has meant nothing for your relationship with that institution or that person? If common ground is going to commit itself to you, or you are going to commit yourself in your finances, in your time, to common ground, let that be a mutual relationship. So what nonprofits like this should go to be like is something to the effect of, we promise to be humble, and we promise to live lives of simplicity in order that what you give sibling in your financial generosity can be utilized in this fight that we're now engaged in towards greater equity. This work cannot exist without generosity. It includes both our need to help with administrative costs, which are about 25% of the forecasting of Common Ground's giving, salaries of me and Chantilly and Sarah that are about 65% of our budget right now, and what we're forecasting, about 10 to 15%, uh, the number's movable, uh, uh, pure generosity to local organizations and emergency needs here in Common Ground. So we have built our budget out of an ethos of abundance, believing that 10 or more, depending on how much comes in, is generosity just poured out into New York City for organizations that are already doing good work. In this way, we try to work together as Christians to offer an alternative to the way the world asks us to spend. One of the most deplorable moments that I now return to as a child, as a senior in high school who watched the towers fall, I was not raised a Christian, so I was not raised at this point, but does anyone remember what George W. Bush begged of the American nation a couple days 
after 9-11 as he stood on the rubble of that building? Keep shopping. Keep spending money. If that does not give you chills, I got nothing else in the rest of the sermon that will. (laughs) If we don't come to a spiritual community like Common Ground and model a generosity and a financial mutuality that looks different than the way capitalism invites us to be total uber consumers, then actually we would struggle for a reason to gather here because we are meant to look as Christians gathering around the life of Jesus Christ and believing that all are resurrected and that we are already seen and are good news to the God that we serve, then the only way that we can respond is in commitment, gratitude, and generosity. This is why, quite literally, I invite your time and your money to Common Ground so that we might continue to practice true community in a space, in a country that longs to have true community where we depend on each other, where we don't ghost each other, where we don't cancel each other, where we actually seek to learn that our ears are open. So the final piece I want to acknowledge is that there's a lot of shame and guilt um, presiding in this room right now, I suspect, at least some with me. I had to write and rewrite and pray and repray and figure out this sermon Uh, Because I am a child who grew up in scarcity. I was a child who grew up abused, in trauma, and with financial woes. Parents that couldn't pay their way, parents that declared bankruptcy. All sorts of things have been conditioned in me to hold on to every single dollar that I have. And then I walk into a world that invites that. I stand in a country that invites me to be a consumer, and I sit in a city that's one of the most expensive cities in the country. Every single thing is working against me to be generous with my income and my time. But what I have learned in the book Attachment and from the scientific studies, the studies that map the brain, specifically the University of Notre Dame is is literally dedicating psychologists and social scientists to this right now, the study of generosity on the brain, because they're going, my God, when someone is more generous, it rewires their understanding of the world. It reshapes how they see others. It builds greater relationality. And so when I ask of these things, it actually is not self-serving, but it is because as the person who y'all have elected or whatever have to put up with, as the leader, as the leader of this spiritual community, I'll be damned if I don't invite you into greater humanity by asking for generosity because it is ultimately good for you. And it is good for me. It is literally good for us on a scientific level. It's, a, it's healthy. Every single study that we find, go on, uh, I could po- post the links and, uh, uh, on, on Common Ground's website, but that peace, less anxiety, most of all, less fearfulness is a result of us being generous of us giving someone else the benefit of the doubt, of us looking at our resources and saying, these aren't mine. This is not my money. The definition of generosity is the quality, according to Marion Webster, the quality or state of being in abundance. Generous is defined as liberal in giving, marked by abundance or ample proportions. Some antonyms to generosity include cheap, Close-fitted, close-fisted, a liberal, 
selfish, uncharitable, and scarce. So let us be a community that is not cheap, close-fisted, illiberal, selfish, uncharitable, and scarce. Brene Brown says, the saint, Reverend Brene Brown, says, worrying about scarcity in our, is our culture's version of post-traumatic stress, and all of us are carrying trauma. It happens when we've been through too much, and rather than come together to heal, this is a big asterisk, which requires vulnerability, we're angry, and we're scared, and as a result, we're at each other's throats. That sounds familiar to the world that we live in. In a country that declares peace on earth by going to war with every country that they can see to establish whatever clean, um, uh, reliable source to oil or some other resource, we have a problem as Americans with scarcity, and it becomes extremely violent. So some problems with generosity. Well, what we've already talked about, a culture of shame about what you have and don't have. We were standing around in a circle here before we got started at the service, and just to just test it out, I asked everybody, there's five of us, how much student debt we have. 300,000 between the five of us. That includes one person who had no debt. So really 300,000 between the four of us. One person who had $90,000 in debt said, you know, it's really terrible though, because other people have more. We have been conditioned to be embarrassed about our own $90,000 in debt. How the hell can we become generous in a, in, a, in a culture, in a soup like that? Another problem with generosity, and I say this as a pastor who left an abusive church that practiced this, and I'm scared for how it comes out, because common ground is, could, you know, in this sense, uh, how, why are you to believe that common ground is any better than any other church? I'm not asking you to believe that, actually. It takes modeling. But when your generosity is misappropriated by an institution, when you give and give and give to the big churches that are in New York City that have a much cooler fog machine, <laughs> that have a light show, that have a giant staff that has an income that might not make sense to your income, when they spend tens of thousands of dollars to send people overseas, when they can just put tens of thousands of dollars in an envelope and marry, mail them overseas, when you have been attracted, oh please, I hope no one's been attracted, to, now I've got my foot in my mouth, but when you've been attracted to the church because of their Instagram handle or their website or their Facebook or all the resources they put behind messaging to make them look really super sexy, I would say that is not in line with what the Spirit of God is asking people to give towards. So one is just a culture of shame that we're all living, living in. If someone doesn't resonate with me with, with, with this, come talk to me after, but I have to imagine the majority of this room does. Embarrassed by how much you make when you make something more than someone else. Embarrassed and feeling a longing for making more when you find out that someone makes more. Net result, none of us are satisfied with our income or our time. As someone who studied political science and some economics in college, well, economics is a result of political science, I'm not an economist, but one of the, one of the most popular lines, from the father of capitalism, 
Mr. Saint Adam Smith says that need is central to a capitalistic society. What I need to do as a market is convince you that you're in need of something. So I will spend millions of dollars on Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday. I will spend millions of dollars on Black Friday marketing to you to let you know how much you're missing out on in life. And I'll cut 20% off of it for a couple weeks so you can go grab that. So generosity is misappropriated. Some of my siblings that are Anabaptists and Mennonite in the Christian tradition actually absolve themselves from paying taxes. Some of them have even gone to jail. A lot of them have actually even gone to jail. Precisely because we are about to cut social services in America so that we can give another bill of $750 billion, a clean $750, to our military. So in the name of peace, we create war, and then we cut people's social services from housing and food. And all of our taxes are paying that. So quite literally, blood is on our hands, and if you're saying, I don't know why I would give to an institution, because this crap institution, America, is already causing death, I get that too. And yet the hope of a small community like ours is that we create a counter-narrative, a different end game, a different way of being, a different mutuality, a different organism. So the three problems of when generosity goes wrong that I wrote, a culture of shame about what you have and don't have. Number two, when generosity is misappropriated. I have a quick story for you. It's found in Luke 21, one through four. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty, poverty, but in all she had to live in and live on. It is a story of the widow's last two coins. It is a story of Jesus, if you know uh, the way that we talk about how to deconstruct the Bible and how to understand the way the Bible is written. Everybody writes their own versions of the Jesus story. Luke, in this case, wrote... Luke has a movement to his, to his writing. So Jesus is always on the move and kind of heading to Jerusalem. So as you read Luke, Luke, Jesus is kind of always on the move. He's never stopping. He's always doing stuff. And then, boom, he ends up in Jerusalem. He does a few things, and he gets killed. Few of those things were standing at the temple in the prophetic tradition of Amos, the prophet, who stood in his writing, stood at the temple gate and said, y'all are cheats. Y'all religious sector, y'all Chris Romines, y'all common grounds, you stand at the front door of your own temple and you cheat the poor as they give only what they have. And Amos 5 says in God's words, this is why I'm setting you into exile. Because you have no mutuality to the people who have need. You're only concerned for your profit. And so Jesus walks up into the temple and he sees these two coins in a widow's hand and she gives all of what she has. Meanwhile, next door, temple's real pretty, and all, all the Sadducees and Pharisees are decked out in real nice gear, and they eat well, and they sit at the center of the table. 
Jesus wasn't just celebrating her generosity, but was saying, shame on you, market, that you've created such a system that those who have the least still give out of abundance, and those who have the most don't. And the sad thing is, if we pop off the lid from any church, any single church, there's an 80-20 rule. A few people with tons of income give their 10%, and then there is a giant gap between the richest and the quite rich and the pretty rich and the pretty comfortable and the pretty comfortable, and then guess who gives most proportionally? Those sitting on the fringes of our economy. What happened in Jesus' day is happening today, and it's even worse today because of all the scarcity that's in our economy. The third point, third and final, and then I want to get us talking a little. Works righteousness. What generosity creates is a form of works righteousness. Now, if y'all know your history, this is actually what broke up the Protestants from the Roman Catholic Church. And it's a bit ironic since we're just rolling in money right now as Protestants, just building big old, well-lit, well-smoked, machined, cool, uh, million-dollar bands, you know, all, all this nonsense, and then a poor, poor folk walk into the church and we turn them away. Works righteousness, that human's relationship with God has always been defined by God's promises and faith. I want to read that one more time so that you know that you are included. Human's relationship with God has always been defined by God's promise and faith. It is a promise. It is not broken. Even before the way Genesis, the poem Genesis, poetically describes our fall, quote-unquote, Adam and Eve were righteous in God's eyes, full stop. Not because of their obedience, in fact, in lieu of their disobedience, but because God from day one declared them good and them counted. Faith has always been defined as our inclusion to a promise. Thus, righteousness before God cannot depend on human achievement or merit. Hear that, since we are all conditioned towards capitalism. Your righteousness before God does not depend on your achievement or your merit. In fact, anytime we look to Jesus and he uses an example of where the kingdom is, it is someone who does not achieve something and has no merit in that society. So when the Roman Catholic Church in 1500s is now completely different and we've kind of all, they fixed themselves and we've broken into 350,000 denominations. When the Roman Catholic Church was selling indulgences in their churches to say you are absolved of your sin, Luther, Calvin, and other initiators of the Protestant Reformation stood up and said, this does not feel like generosity and it is worth splitting the church over because folks are already included. So if a church ever tells you that you are not counted because of what you don't give or give, leave that church, including mine, including this place. So a culture of shame, generosity misappropriated, works righteousness, and maybe I'll say a final thing, a lack of transparency on income. Common Ground has a public budget. I say that word public because it's not public, but if you ask, I'll tell you. Uh, we're figuring out administratively and technologically how we just post it to our website. This is what Chris makes. This is what Chantilly makes. This is what Sarah makes. This is the amount that we have to pay towards administration. 
This is the amount we give away as a community to ourselves and to others. And let me tell you something. We, since day one that we have launched, have run at an incredible amount of deficit. <laughs> I am burning through the money that would pay me in a couple years for salary so that we can pay rent here and do other things, the small groups that we do, the events that we do. And honestly, I tell you, that is not something to celebrate myself, but I, I, I want to say that if I'm going to be the leader of this community, I think you damn well better see me functioning out of abundance and modeling it if you're going to model abundance. And so let us also be a community that is transparent about our funds. And if you want to know how bad a community is about transparency, go into your organization, ask your siblings what they make, and then see how quickly HR calls you in and warns you off of that method. We might just find out that women get paid two-thirds a man. Maybe, if I'm guessing, since every single statistic bears that out. We might just find out that people of color get paid about 55 to 60% of white folk. We might just find that out. And suddenly, what would a community look like if we actually reconciled that inequity? Through transparency, we became mutual. Through transparency, we maybe asked ourselves the question, should this person make that much more than this person? They're doing the exact same thing. So if common ground's going to be a place that invites a true generosity, let us model it through killing shame, since that's baked into generosity, to not misappropriating funds, since that's baked into churching, basically, to rejecting works righteousness, because common ground is a place that says you are included full stop from day one. Jesus didn't die for your sins. You weren't going to hell before Jesus came. You were already baked into heaven, and Jesus came and showed just how much God's love conquers. And the final thing is let common ground be a place that's transparent about our finances. But also... That doesn't mean that Common Ground isn't in need of your resources, of your time, of your talent, of your income, especially as we resist a capitalistic calculus that invites us to spend as much money on ourselves as we can, and the little bit that we have left in the month will maybe give to Common Ground. I say don't feed a market that drops bombs on our neighbors and steals food from those in need. And if Common Ground can help reorient an economy so that we can actually feed the hungry in our midst, damn, is that something to be proud of. And that's a vision that we can get behind. Amen?